joined by Spiro Economopoulos and David Martin Harris, all about the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. Welcome to the show. Thanks Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Where do we start with this year's festival? Uh, Spiro, you're the curator. It's on. All right. What would you like to know? Well, I love the Brazil focus, you know, opening yeah. night, closing night, Brazil yeah. shorts. It's very exciting, actually. I was saying uh, last night at our launch that, uh, you know, over the years I've seen so many amazing mo- movies that are sort of coming out of Brazil, and I feel like it was kind of due time to kind of sort of focus on this um, on Brazil as a place, which is a country that's kind of been going through some you know, pretty hardcore, you know, epidemic violence towards LGBTIQ plus people as well. And, uh, but what's been really interesting is seeing the queer community and filmmaking community in particular in their kind of response, but also the amazing creativity that's coming out of there. And, you know, we mentioned the opening uh, film, Private Desert and Yara, the um, Rising Forest, which is our closing, but the focus as well has like three amazing features, including The First Fallen, Follow the Protocol and Mars One and this really great uh, shorts package as well. So there's a lot in there. David, for you as a CEO, what's the highlight of this year's festival? Oh, gosh, so many. I mean, I think... We're introducing a new program this year for our Rainbow families, which we haven't done before. So we're creating our first screening for um, queer parents, of, uh, queer parents and their kids, and qu- uh, parents of queer kids as well. Your uncle, bring your grandparents, bring the whole family. So we want to create this rainbow space, which a lot of the queer f- festivals don't do. And we're showing this adorable Swedish film called Mini Zoltan and Uncle Darling, which is Very a little sweet. bit yeah, it's super super beautiful. It's a little bit like the Parent Trap. So that's a really cute space that we're creating at Acme this year. I'm really looking forward to that one. I've noticed it's just got a different feel. Like, how would you describe that different feel? Is it the shorts packages that kind of just really jump out? Like, what is it that feels different this year? Oh, look, you know, we've definitely got some new strands that have come in, obviously, like our Brazil focus, um, where, you know, like the Rainbow Family screening is a new thing we're doing. We've kind of rebranded some of our shorts packages and our centerpiece has got a new kind of, you know, look and focus as well. We've also got... A new venue, which is really rooftop exciting. Cinema. We're doing it, yeah, a rooftop at the Pride Centre, yeah. outdoors. We're going outside, like George Michael said. So that's great because you guys are actually based there as well. So it's kind of like coming home, screening from home for you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, we, we're a resident company there and we wanted to, we, we're co producing it and um, co creating it. And it's a partnership between us and the Victorian Pride Centre. And we really want to activate that space for community. Look, there's some films that really jumped out for me. And one was Chrissy Judy, which I've, um, I've been a bit of a fan of. Uh, tell us about that spirit. Yeah, look, it's, I actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because I personally really love that movie as well. I, I think what I really like about this film is that you, you sort of rarely see movies about uh, gay friendships between men and this is very much focused on these two men that have this uh, drag act called Chrissy and Judy and uh, one of them decides to break it up because they've kind of sort of fallen into a long-term relationship and it's sort of about this other uh, this other friend kind of basically trying to find their own feet it's got some pretty catty one-liners in it but um, I think it's really wonderful and it's shot in black and white too which is a rare thing and I actually think it looks quite lovely it's very upstate New York yes, yes. it is indeed now David I have to ask you what's your favourite film I love My Emptiness and I which is set in Barcelona and it's about this young trans person going through the process of transitioning over years and you know, I'd like really beautiful story, beautifully acted. Um, and it's just this beautiful trans community around her as well. Like it really kind of goes through her um, acceptance of her body um, in the process, all these like horrible dates that she goes on, finding love, looking at sex. Like it's just this really, you know, really beautiful, 
gentle and very sensitively done drama about transitioning that I think it will just be so amazing for people to see. I'm really excited about that one. Do you guys talk about the films a lot? Like, you know, in between festivals, do you say, yeah. Dave, I've got this film. Yeah, we'll just totally. go, I yeah. really want to screen this this year. I know I'm not the curator, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we meet up regularly to go through the films, actually, so... I want to ask you about Elephant. Yeah, this was actually a little bit of a late addition into the program, and I was really excited about it when I, when I saw it. Cause it's a Polish film. Um, we don't get to see many films from there as well, which I really liked. Um, it's a yeah, kind of really sort of interesting, kind of more youth-based movie, um, really fantastic performances, and yeah, I, I think it's kind of a really good movie. What about Horseplay? Love horseplay. So Marco Burgers had many films uh, in our festival over the years, Taekwondo, The Blonde One. And, you know, he's always kind of dealt with films that are very much about the way that, in particular, straight men's um, behaviour towards each other is very kind of homoerotic, this kind of homosocial kind of behaviour. And he sort of plays with that. And I think in horseplay in particular, he takes it to another level, which he uses that as an interrogation of you know, homophobia within that kind of play and in particular misogyny as well. So it becomes a really interesting film that kind of questions all those things. So David, I've got to ask, you've come to the Queer Film Festival over the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, have you always been a film buff? Oh yeah, all my life, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was in, up in Sydney for the last five years. So I haven't been down in a long time, but when I lived in, in my 20s, absolutely, I was at the film festival every year. Yeah. Wow, fantastic. So um, tell us about kind of like, you know, what does the board do at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival in so far as the logistics? I mean, you must kind of, you know, talk about the festival a lot at your board meetings. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> our board set our strategy and, you know, financial direction. They're a non-profit board and they're volunteers as well. You know, we've moved away from an, an operational board to a governance board in the last couple of years. That's a long transition that charities take to make when organisations become more robust in their staffing. So they're very much a governance board at this stuff, but they still get in there and, and help us with lots of different things and they you know they're my part-time therapist as well as the CEO. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, now I've got to ask this there was just one film that really jumped out to me because I am an 80s <laughs> child oh, and it was the I one, the one about, you're talking about yeah Boy George, Spandau yes. Ballet, the London nightclub scene mm. Spiro you must yeah. have absolutely wet your pants when you I discovered that film. I was very excited about Blitz yes uh, <laughs> Blitz is about the you know very short-lived time of the Blitz nightclub in the UK in the 80s which uh, sort of became this kind of focal point for all these different artists that were gathering there and who sort of went on to kind of form you know the new romantic kind of sort of period and era I guess and uh, yeah it's a lot of really interesting interviews with people like Boy George and you know spanner ballet all kind of spilling the tea and kind of revealing all sorts of stuff but it's just really fun and i think if you're really into that music in that era you'll really enjoy it tell us about eight years oh eight years yeah it's a really interesting spanish film about a couple that uh have sort of broken up but they've gone back to a place where they sort of really enjoyed being on a holiday sort of many years ago um to see if they can kind of reignite and kind of repair their relationship and so it kind of is about these two men who are trying to come together and sort of sort that out amongst a lot of hijinks that end up happening on the island anyway but that's a really beautiful film yeah yeah, yeah. you've seen it obviously 
I've seen a little bit of that one, but not the full things. I can't. I don't have time to watch them all. Yeah, Spiro I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> it must be tempting, though. Oh, it is. I mean, I have to do it in my spare time a lot of the time. So I kind of like, Spiro sends me screeners and I get to watch a few of them. Like a lot of, I watch a lot of them, but not all of them. Yeah. Tell us about El Hoob. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Um, it's a really interesting film about a Dutch uh, Moroccan family uh, and very much about uh, the, the son sort of wanting to come back home and come out to his parents and kind of the complexities of that. Um, and particularly within this kind of cultural sort of milieu of this sort of family. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's sort of a bit of a sort of three-hander in a way, but he also kind of, when he's back in the family home, begins to reflect on privileged relationships, you know, kind of what is, what's led him to kind of be in this kind of place. And uh, sort of it's a really interesting film. You don't see uh, that um, narrative sort of play out so much from you know from there as well. So I quite like that one. So you mentioned the rooftop at the Pride Centre. I imagine, David, you put a bit of work into like you know working with the venues. Yeah, is that something yeah, you focus on? Absolutely. Yeah. No, we. Um. I mean, uh, we're right across Melbourne this year again. Like we're back at full capacity. But that's kind of one of the big things that I do at the start of the year is going and um and setting up all those venues or setting up the stage for the our curator spirit to come in and, and populate. Um, and we're right back at Acme again in full capacity, back at Cinema Nova in Carlton, Jam Factory in South Yarra again, of course. And, yeah, a new cinema on the top of the VPC. Spiro, what's this one been like for you? I mean, we've come out of, um, you know, lockdowns, you know, you had the... You had the um, all the online stuff, you know, when we were in lockdown, mm-hmm. um, you know, you had the 30th that kind of, you know, was punctured. Oh, yeah. um, and now you're back in full swing. It's a bit of been a roller coaster for you. It has been a roller coaster, actually. Um, and, you know, this is uh, this is probably almost as big and maybe slightly bigger than last November's, possibly, when we did go back straight into mm. cinema. Uh, and, you know, look, I think for us... Uh, it's all going to be about those audiences coming back, isn't it? You know, where where we want to be back in person, we want to be putting on film festivals in person. That's what you know. This is about you know it's about community coming together and watching film. So, I think uh, for me, it's just you know it's going to be that's what we want, and that's what I want people to do. They have to come see the movies, and people are coming back. You know, in the industry, like it was really tough for a long time in the arts to get audiences in and. Um, we're, we're seeing trends now nationally where audiences are really coming back to participate, especially in the summer. Like we're getting over those COVID waves now and people want to return to in-person events. So it's slowly but surely ticking up and it's, you know, it's nothing like it was yeah. six months ago, eight months ago. It feels like in a completely different world. We had a great turnout at the launch last night oh, as well. Yeah. So that was a good indication, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, it looked lots of fun. Yeah, I'm a bit was. I'm a bit dusty today. <laughs> Look, I've got to say, I love the fact that you've got an Australian feature of the year. It's the launch. Longest weekend. Mm-hmm. That must have been a hard choice. Yeah, I think, I mean, that sort of traditionally is our sort of centrepiece film. And I think we wanted to kind of have a look at that and play with that and particularly put it in an Australian context. So that's sort of how that kind of came about as it was. Because, you know, it's, it's always hard picking, you know, one movie, obviously. But The Longest Weekend is actually a really lovely movie, a debut feature from a, a filmmaker called Molly Haddon. Uh, about a group of siblings who kind of come together and find themselves all under the same roof um, due to unforeseen circumstances. And, um, yeah, I think it's kind of a really interesting film about familial relationships and the complexities of that. And if you've got a sibling that you've either wanted to, you know, love or kill, you'll be able to relate to this, I think, really well. What's the quirkiest genre you've got this year? 
Oh, I mean, my favourite genre out. is the freak out. Yeah. yeah, the horror stuff that we've got in the program. You know, that's always that's a bit of a personal fave. And we've got some really excellent movies, including a film called Hypochondriac from a um, a film that I can probably describe as, you know, a very violent, bloody, queer version of Donnie Darko. But it's also an interesting film that deals with mental health. And I think mental health is something that people can be really, I guess, uncomfortable talking about in a really sort of honest way. And uh, the filmmaker himself, actually, this is, kind of comes from a lot of his own personal experiences and it's something that he filters through a really interesting kind of genre as well so I really like that I really like that film there's some other great mental health ones in the festival as well the the one with the girl with ADHD what's the name of that one? Oh, um so damn easy going oh yeah yes. that sounds great yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. really, really great narrative about this girl um struggling like she's coming out she comes out as by bi- finds out she's bisexual throughout it but it's you know First Lens ADHD experience of dealing with medication. So it's just an, another queer story that you very rarely kind of see around mm. bringing that up in, in a festival now and those narratives coming out. That's a great film. Your face lit up before when we were talking about the horror. Oh, gosh, what's the other one? <laughs> no, 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 the one with the... Uh, oh, Heart Beast. Heart Beast, that's one. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about that one. I haven't seen... I've only seen yeah. the trailer for this one. And, like, oh. sometimes Spirit, I was like, absolutely, just put it in the festival. Yeah, yeah. Tell it's us about gorgeous. that one. gorgeous, yeah. Heart Beast, uh, yeah, visually, it's a really stunning film. Yeah. And it's a film that is about obsessive love and desire and has a, a very, I think, very kind of complex and problematic protagonist at the centre mm. of it. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a really interesting film, the journey you kind of go on with this um, this uh, this queer person who is in love with their stepsister, I it's guess. It's a bit of a thriller, isn't it's it? A, it is a bit of a thriller, yeah. yeah it's very dark, but yeah, um, yeah. I quite liked it, actually. If you yeah. like Silence of the Lambs, go for it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a superb festival. Spiro and David from the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, thank you so much for joining me. And, of course, it runs from November 10 to 21. Correct. Yep. And then our online parts from the 21st to the 27th. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Lovely stuff. You are on In Your Face on 3CR, and here is PJ Harvey. Yes, love this song.
You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Joined by Chloe McKellar, who is the candidate, the independent candidate for Bayswater at the upcoming state election and a Save Lake Knox campaigner. Chloe, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's really great to have you on board, and it's so exciting that you're running this um, really strong local grassroots environmental campaign all about saving Lake Knox. Let's start with that. Tell us all about it. Yeah. Uh, so the Save Lake Knox has been a campaign, a community campaign for about the last five or six years uh, that's been attempting to reverse a decision by Development Victoria and the state government to uh, demolish an existing lake called Lake Knox um, in the area and replace it with a housing development instead. Um, we're not, we're not you know, against housing uh, in general, we're against destroying ecosystems to build those houses. Lake Knox has been um, around for about 70 years or so. It was originally built as uh, as a dam, and it was a research dam, um, next to Blind Creek in uh, Knox, and it was not really used after that, after about the 60s or so, uh, and it's become naturalised, and so environment, the environment's come in, um, species, just dozens and dozens of species, birds, um threatened, including threatened uh, ducks as well, have come to use it as a habitat, as a breeding ground. It's become a very rich ecosystem, um, and we want to preserve it because uh, myself and the community that I represent believe that uh, ecosystems should be saved and not uh, bulldozed. (laughs) How did we get to this point, Chloe, where they're even contemplating putting this housing there when it's destroying the local environment? Oh, how did the government come to that decision? Well, yeah, like it seems like you know, it's a it's a no brainer that perhaps they need to scale this back. Like no brainer. Yeah, that definitely should. Um, so, Development Victoria was established in 2017. Um, this land was previously owned by the Department of Waterland and Planning, um, and it's actually on their site. Uh, when Development Victoria was first um, sort of incorporated uh, by the, the state government, they were. They went around and they've got this Melbourne plan. They've taken up, taken all of the open space that they can find in every region, handed it to Development Victoria and said, do what you want with it. And Development Victoria goes, great, let's see how much we can build. And so they've decided that they want to build all the way on top of an existing lake. So they're going to uh, fill it in. 
which is not great. So this is public or was public land, um, yep. public open yep, space, is, unique yep. flora and fauna that's being Correct. sold off for private development and profit. Um, yeah, so the de- Development of Victoria is a government entity. Um, so it's very unclear exactly what the nature of the development will be. The plans haven't gotten that far. They're really, um, they're really about rezoning the area with sort of rather general plans as far as what were built. Um, specific plans will be developed later, presumably by some kind of development company, most likely something like Metricon or one of those kind of um, big developments. So whether it's public, whether it's private, it's a bit of a blurry area. There's uh, quote-unquote promised about 5% quote-unquote affordable housing, which um, I've looked at the numbers and they're very... Uh, you know, we're talking houses that are way, way out of most people's house uh, price range and bringing them to slightly closer to the price range but still significantly out of it. I think we need a lot more funding for social housing in particular and uh, better answers to our housing crisis than destroying ecosystems to build as many as we can. So it sounds like this issue really motivated you to run as an independent candidate yeah. for Bayswater, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually a scientist. So I'm, I work as a climate scientist in my daytime job. Um, and I care I care a lot about the environment. It's always been a real passion of mine to do something with my life to sort of have a positive impact. Um, I care about wildlife really deeply. I care that we don't obliterate the environment that we are not only live in but are supported by. Um, we've only got one planet and I think we need to do everything that we can to save it, including thinking much more carefully about the developments that, we, that we're doing to minimise the harm on the environment. So that's, that's the reason I um, personally care about this very deeply. And is this issue cutting through with the local community? I imagine there's people who are outraged. Oh, absolutely. So this, uh, the Save Lake Nux campaign has been around for, like I said, five or six years. There's been, it's been quite a significant community movement behind it. We've got a permission, uh, they put up a, p- a petition a number of years ago. Um, that was, that's been signed now by 26,000 people. Um, the proposal for the development was, um, presented by, to the council recently. Um, they went, underwent a, a session of, um, community objections. Um, we, we submitted almost 1,200 objections to Knox Council, which is the largest number of objections ever to, uh, to be put on their desk. Um, they were, I think, quite overwhelmed with it. So there's a huge community engagement with this process. No, no one really wants this lake to be, um, to be filled in. People just don't see the reason for it. There's got to be better answers to this than, than what the current plan is. Um, that's you know that's what has brought me on board. I, I came to this and thought and thought not only do I care about this personally, but the community really seems to be uh, sort of against this development as it stands currently. Um, yeah, so it's been really fantastic to join that and be part of it. Who is the local member and what's their position on this development? the The current situation in the area is actually quite interesting. Um, the seat of Bayswater is currently held by Jackson Taylor, who's a Labor candidate. He, um, so he's on the side of Development Victoria because it's his government department, it's their plans. Um, he's supporting the existing development of destroying Lake Knox. Um, the, 
There is a seat just to the south of the current seat of Bayswater called the seat of Fungigui. It's currently held by a Liberal member called, uh, his name is Nick Wakeling. The Fentry Gully seat has actually been dissolved at this election because they're redrawing all the boundaries and Bayswater, the seat of Bayswater is being changed quite significantly. It's about going to be about 50, 50, 50 uh, Jackson's old seat and Nick's old seat. And so they're actually um, going to be battling it out for their political careers at this election. Wow. So it's pretty hotly contested. So two, incum- two incumbents, yes. <laughs> And um, you'd think that they would want to um, appeal to those 26,000 people who signed that petition. Yeah. Nick, Nick Wakeling, um, to all of his credit, he's been supportive of retaining Lake Knox since the beginning. Um, I, you know, I've got a lot of personal feelings about the Liberal Party, both federally and state-wise, but I've found Nick to be quite a good representative of the community, and he really does want to represent uh, these com- the communities beliefs and feelings about this. And so he's, he's also um, uh, promoting the retention of Lake Knox and the rethinking of this development, which has been amazing to have him on board for that. You think Jackson would be tempted to break ranks with the Labor Party? It's not as if uh, he's a minister. No, no, it's been quite disappointing. This is, these, these are my personal feelings about Jackson, is that I, I feel like he's let down a very significant portion of his constituents. You know, his own his own constituents have been telling him for years now, for his entire term, that they are unhappy with his choices to to side with this development, to keep going with this, um, to perform, you know, very performative consultation with the community where they present their plans. The community all shows up and objects to them, and then the plans don't change at all, and so it becomes very untrustworthy. He's become very untrustworthy by the community because we just don't see him actually reflecting our beliefs and desires as a community. Um, and so I have very personal feelings about how he has let down the people of Bayswater. Um, you are, of course, a proud trans woman. Uh, how's, yeah. how's your campaign been received? Um, it's actually been incredible. I've, you know, I really, when I, when I started running, I braced myself. I, I thought, oh, no, what's going to happen? I'm putting myself out here as an openly trans person. Um, and so far, I haven't had kind of any blowback with regard to that, which has been incredible. You know, um, I've had more people coming up to me trying to you know, debate science with me more than anything else, more than my trans status, which has been actually really incredible to, to sort of sense. I think that people, when you know, there's this perception of sort of living out here in the burbs, in the sticks, that... Um, you know, very conservative leaning, and when we we tend to, um, as a community, lean rather conservative. But I haven't had, you know, I've I've had people saying that it's so great seeing trans people running, and that they're you know fully supportive of it. I haven't had anyone really seemingly, you know, be not supportive because I'm trans, which has been fantastic. And you know, a lot of people I've been working with and talking with have been. Um, you know, older people, retirees, um, especially, you know, so people that you might not necessarily consider to be, you know, you know, all uh, up with the queer stuff, I guess. Um, and it's been actually just really fantastic. And really refreshing that people are, are, are focusing on policy rather than identity yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm not, I, I'm openly trans and I haven't had, I haven't tried to hide this at all. Um, and I'm, I, I'm, 
personally a proponent of trans rights and um, I work with queer organizations and, and I love advocacy for, for queer and trans people. But it's, you know, it's not part of my platform. It's not the reason I'm running. It's just part of who I am and part of something what I inherently bring as myself. And so, you know, in, in running and in doing all this, I'm also providing some representation, some options for people to vote for someone who maybe represents them or people they care about who haven't been represented in politics before. And that's, and that's really um, encouraging to feel. And I, I'm really proud to be able to represent my community and who I represent, young queer trans people, but to fight for something that isn't you know, directly connected to that, just something I care about individually um, and that the community cares about. It's, it's, oh, yeah, it's been amazing. And if you are elected, I can't imagine there would be many other <laughs> environmental scientists in the Victorian Parliament. Um, not many. I think there might be one or two, potentially in the Greens. I have to, that's a really good question. I, I should look that up to find out um, who else in the Victorian Parliament is... Um, Sort of, you know, in this environment, works in this environmental space, um, but it's not a common thing in Parliament. No. <laughs> Speaking of the Greens, I'm amazed they didn't try and um, pick you up as a candidate. Um, we we entered some discussions. In the end, I decided to run as an independent for a few reasons. Um, running with the Greens was definitely an option. Um, I decided to run as independent for, for, like I said, a number of reasons. Primarily, the community was explicitly looking for someone to run as an independent. They wanted an independent to vote for. You know, the Greens were always going to run in the seat, as they always do. Um, there's an AGP candidate as well. I think people were after someone who was going to directly represent them and their interests at the election, rather than someone who they could see as you know, aligning with their values, but having a party line that they are following with a statewide strategy. They wanted to see someone stand up who was running exclusively for them on the issues that they cared about. And it was a true reflection of what they wanted to see in the election. Um, and so I was really, really proud to provide that, you know, coming up in November. Chloe, what are some of the other policy issues that did your heart and are part of your campaign? Mm-hmm. The biggest one, other than environmental conservation, is is health, so community health. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about hospitals and hospital upgrades and hospital renames, which, you know, let's not go into that, um, Marinda Hospital. And I am very much supportive of improving hospitals, upgrading hospitals, supporting, um, you know, that that sort of um, side of medical, the medical healthcare realm. However, I very much have felt and gotten the impression from uh, people I've talked to that it's community health, it's access to GPs, bulk billing GPs, especially um, short-term sort of um, appointments that you need on a, you know, my child is sick, I need to get, get an appointment today, I can't find anyone, especially no bulk billing, um, long wait lists for, you know, procedures that aren't seen as emergency, like cataracts, people going blind, waiting for a public health care system, um, medical abortions, things like that as well, are very, very low access in this area, incredibly low access, and they've only dropped since uh, since COVID as well. So reproductive and sexual health is really dear to my heart, women's health and trans care health as well. Um, I've obviously personally struggled to get any kind of trans health care remotely close to my house. I either need to drive to the city or much further 
to get that kind of health care. Um, I think we need access to diversity of care and especially GPs. GPs are our front line of preventative health. Hospitals are a backup. Hospitals are, should not be where you go when you've got something you know, wrong with you. We should have strong um, set of GPs who are able to service the community uh, to make sure that hospitals' numbers can be kept down. That's how we. That's how we ultimately uh, manage the hospital healthcare system better. Chloe McKellar, um, thank you so much for chatting yeah. with me today on Three CR. No, we right. are out of time. It's an exciting yeah, campaign. It's um, oh, really, really, I think, important for the local community. The issues that you're highlighting, and you're a trailblazer. It's always great to chat with you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Chloe McKellar there, the independent candidate for Bayswater at the upcoming state election. You are on in your face on Three CR, and here's Patty Smith.
there covering Barry White. You are an In Your Face on 3CR with James. I am joined by Kevin McGreal, a prolific playwright who uh, has a production called An Unknown Song for Melbourne Fringe, staging at the Victorian Pride Centre. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. You walked here from South Bank in the rain. Yeah. Lovely well, I love, the, I love the rain anyway. I was jogged in it yesterday. And your play is about summer. Tell us all about it. Summer. Um, well, you know, I'm, summer's the season where you sort of get your gear off, don't you? And then you get out and about. The play's not about getting your gear off, but it's just about going down the beach. So what happened last year, I, just, I, I had been living in London for eight years and I moved back home with the pandemic. And um, I go down to South, um, Port, Port Melbourne and I jog down there and then I jump in the water and jump back out. And then that's where everything grew from there. And um, this vision came out of the water, this twink in a pair of Speedos, and just smiling. And it's like, oh, I just love that youth is so happy about things, you know, about anything. Maybe it was, you know, and um, I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And then just 
it grew from there, the whole idea and the whole concept and sort of shifted everything, really. So a vision of someone coming out of the water, kind of like Jaws, yeah. <laughs> is, is the inspiration for an unknown song. Yes, pretty much. So it's about a writer who's got writer's block and goes to the beach. Right. Did you and his have name's Kevin. Block? And his name's Kevin. Did you have writer's block I that conti- day? Um, I continually have writer's block in my life. But, I, 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 um, you know, we have some big bumps in our life and I, I think it was just something like I needed to sort of spice it up and make a shift. You know, it became sort of same, same-ish. So hence a big... Uh, adventure overseas for you know nearly 10 years and um, I call that writer's block but it was just called a distraction so did you actually talk to this person that emerged from the water that inspired this or was it literally just like a flash and that's kind of like what kind of you know set off all these ideas they unblocked you yeah yeah a bit of both I got obsessed like I, 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 not literally not not in a clinical sort of sense Um, I went back again I went, I'm one of those, I go back and back and back until I'm sort of like, okay, I've, 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 I'm done. You know, there's no more to sort of get from it. And I went back and he was there again. And um, then he started cruising me. And I had become friends with an older guy who, and I was talking about his life. He hangs, he takes the whole sort of set down to the beach and, um, and he goes, oh, this young thing's sort of interesting. I said, I just love his smile. And then it grew from there and let it go and then it became something else. Does he know about this play? I don't know who he is. Wow. I have no idea. He might have been on holidays. So there's someone out there who's had this play written about them called An Unknown Song. It's part of Melbourne Fringe that is staging at the Pride Centre. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, it's good. It's, and I think um, as a piece of writing, I think it's like one of my best, to be honest. Wow. Well, you are prolific. I mean, let's have a look at some of the stuff you've done. You've written over a dozen plays, including Idaho, Jesus and the Gold Tooth Gang. Love that title. Shakespeare's Boys, Boyfriends from Hell, Sublime Ridiculous, Cruising, Nightlife, Sniff, Thy Will Be Done, and the list goes on. Yeah, it's just sort of, that's just marked my whole use, actually. Like, that just takes me back to all different stages of my life. Because these plays have been written, you know, over over a period spanning more than twenty years. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you and you kind of began at St Martin's Theatre, right? Yeah, as a kid. Wow. Like, well, that is for kids, but like, uh, yeah, in um, primary school. Wow. Uh, and I always wanted to be an actor. Look, I'm going to share something. When I was really little, I, I was about four years old. I wrote on a piece of paper, line after line, I wanted to be a movie star. I don't know what the hell that meant. And then I hid it under my bed and someone found it and they've kept it to prove. So you're one of those kids that was involved with St. Martin's. It's like, Mm. I want to be in the theatre. I want to, you know, (laughs) do stuff. And you did. Right. Because I think St. Martin's, what it did was um, it sort of breeds this sort of confidence. It's not even putting in confidence. You just do it. I mean, my first role was a tree. And I remember that was the running, the, the running gag around the family dinner. It's like, he makes a great tree. And um, I'm like, oh, well, I'll prove you wrong. I'm going, I'm going to be like a moving tree next time or something, a Christmas tree. And it's sort of, there's that sort of energy within my family dynamics. It's like, they don't take you anywhere. They don't, they're not, they're not stage mummies, but you, you're most definitely encouraged to prove them wrong. So you must have been really determined. I mean, you didn't just become an excellent playwright by, you know, a fluke. You actually really worked at it, right? Yeah, yeah, worked at it. Like I laid tracks every day from the from my creativity from the day I was born. I I, I think like just I just think that um, 
yeah, it, it's just, everything's just grown from the start, conscious and unconscious. That it, it's all been. Um, that's it. That's the narrative I've been living. I don't know if it's a good one because you know the play explores what you miss out on when you're, um, you know, yeah, so so into it. Yeah, your work has like you know an exploration of identity colliding with individuals, doesn't it? It's it is always identity, yeah, based. And why is that? Do you think? Um, because I didn't know where I sat. I don't. I I think I just like I dug my own trenches and sort of fought my own wars to um to to know who I am. Like I I, I never believed anything I said. I was always like double guessing teachers and other anything i just sort of i could sort of pre-read what they were about to come out with and i was like well i've only got myself to rely on and so i think having that do-it-yourself attitude it's not very good to be in the theater and a do-it-yourself person my father's i think it sounds fabulous well it is but then it's like it's all about collaboration (laughs) and so this play i've written directed and performing it and um and so it can be for so i'm yeah performing it as well and it's like People can sort of, particularly like in London, everyone was really sort of kosher and go, "Wow, that's that's crazy." And um, but I, in in growing up in Melbourne, it's more like there was this trend of theatre is collaborative process, and because theatre had changed, it shifted from just the playwright and then you hand the script over. It's like it's developed in the the rehearsal room, probably because everyone's getting grants except me. And you know, so I'm I'm still like in this little space getting a kick out of, you know, some control over my life by writing these stories and then getting to perform that actually grow even more. You know, like this one has really taught me. I've, I've had so, so many little breakdowns in this rehearsal process because I'm like, oh, I wrote that, but it was sort of, some of it was partly subconscious and now I know what it's, what I'm saying and, and things like that. I can understand why you're doing it like that. I mean, you wrote it. Why shouldn't you keep it? Why shouldn't you direct it? Why shouldn't you act in it? Why shouldn't you control it? Why shouldn't <laughs> well, it be you? Well, I'll cough all the crap when everyone says it was terrible, you know, um, but I, I don't, you know, I'm used to that too. So that's not a problem. Um, yeah, why not? That's my theory. And also I'm sort of like, now I'm 53. It's like, do you know what? Like, it's great to sort of shake yourself. This one's really sort of get back on the horse. I've had a bit of a break, you know. I've, I've had a bit of fun, a lot of fun, and it's just get on the horse and get, you know, just just spice it up, put a cracker up my bum, and and I'm alive. So it's a whole different perspective. It's like I really feel like I'm just sort of like go really enjoying every process, and it's less about me and more about what I'm learning and the creativity and excitement from it. And being 53, having written over a dozen plays, I mean, I can understand why you would be going, well, I'm going to do something different now. I'm going to do something just for me. Yes, it is purely for me. And uh, it was just to break the hiatus. And um, I found like, I was like, I don't know, I was like everyone else in that period of the COVID thing. I just went really flat. I did have a relationship bust up. So it was like, at the same time that, you know, Boris kicked off the lockdowns. And, and, and so I didn't know what was going on, to be honest. I was quite sort of in a, in a really flat sort of melancholic space. So yeah, it is, it is something it's like to, to, to shake it up. And it's like, why not? Why not? I, I want to I want to ride into the next part of my life. Hopefully, I get to live a bit longer, a lot longer, with a smile on my face. 
you know. So you survived um, the Tories' austerity in the UK, <laughs> uh, their botched handling of the pandemic, uh, the bleakness of, of a London winter when all of that was happening, all the scandals as well. That must give you great fodder for writing plays. Um, what's kind of, you know, within you, do we think, that will emerge from that period in the future with your playwriting? A lot of honesty and a lot of um, uh, truth within myself. Um, there's no fear of the truth anymore. Um, well, probably, but not as much because I, it's just being exposed to myself. And I think I'd spent, I've just become a, really good at being a loner and that's given me time to wonder and to search for more truth and truth in any sense, like mainly for me identity and on a humane level with what people say and what they don't say. And that's where, that's where I bubble away. It's like i just about connection. And um, that's my biggest view as well. So it's all in bubble, 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 total in trouble. But it's so interesting that, you know, you're kind of, you know, on this truth journey when truth is, you know, so hotly contested in this current era that we're in. Right. It's all constructed and it's all driven by, um, yeah, and media is all billion dollar industry. And it's, yeah, it's just really, that's why, that's why I think I'm a bit of a firecracker and um, a do-it-yourself person. So it's like, I don't, I'm not there sitting there analyzing what, what do they really mean? I'm not that kind of person. I'm usually like, believe it. And then someone kicks me onto the table going, are you serious? Like, do you, I, you know, I've, I have faith in people and um, I, I quite like that. And then, I, and then I'm sort of proven wrong. But faith in yourself to do this play on yeah. your own the way that you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do have faith. I'm very confident in my own um, creativity. But I also don't think I'm at, like the ant's pants. It's like it can be a mistake. It, you know, the failure, I've failed that many times in life, not just in performance, just relationships after people everything and i'm i'm not scared of <laughs> i'm definitely not scared of failure um in fact i quite like it because i've learned so much wow. and it makes me smile as we speak you like failure that must be one of the reasons why you're successful because you <laughs> you, you cope with it i cope with it yeah pretty much um it's not something I think about too much. Mind you, I did last night thinking, what was I thinking? I'm, I'm doing a one-man show the first time in my life. Like, I woke up at three o'clock thinking that. And, um, and then I, I know how to shift my perceptions. It's all perceptions. And it's like, you, you know, it, that's just a fear thing, which is sort of, I can eliminate quite quickly with just breathing. Yeah, taking a deep breath. Um, what's it like being back in Australia as a playwright after all those years in London? Um, well, it's not really much, it's not really the, it's not really the sort of like the point of conversation I have with people. <laughs> um, uh, it's different. Um, but I don't know if Australia's been exposed to a lot of theatre until just in the last six months. But I think Melbourne's been the best thing for me in terms of an artist because I've never, I've always had support or I've always got a yes before a no, like the, the Pride Centre. You know, so they've got an idea. They said, well, we've got some spots for the fringe. And I'm like, this perfect. I'm, I don't, I'm not worried about, I need to be main stage. I need to, in fact, I kind of like being off the back, off the back, off the back, where you have to get a tram and taxi down the laneway to get into the front door to, to watch it, because then I've got so much more choices in what I can say on stage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have those choices in England? Yeah, there is. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of small theatres. It's a very, it's very, it's very well um, 
funded and it's very it's it, there's but everyone goes there and there's so many different voices you know the, every voice i saw a wonderful play and i was actually at the young vic and it was about female circumcision that happened but like in the muslim community in council flats on a saturday morning and i'm thinking people used to say i can't write what I wrote. It's like, who wants to see that play? And I saw that. And I'm like, you can write about anything. And it was really good play. And the playwright was there and discussed it. And it's like, you can write about any of you through the lens of your experience. So this is what I've learned. This play is the shift where the future of my work, whatever it may be, is how I look at what story I take, what idea I take, how I develop that through the experience, the lens of my experience. So rather than writing about something as a gay man, it's through that lens of, of a 53-year-old gay man looking at the connection to the rest of the world. So that's where the shift has come. And I, I think some place in London taught me that. Not saying that that, happens in, that doesn't happen in Melbourne. It's just that I've been exposed to that for the last you know, 10 years. But Melbourne's just equally as, as good. Well, your fabulous play, An Unknown Song, <laughs> is staging at the Victorian Pride Centre as part of Melbourne Fringe. Give us those dates. Uh, it's next week. Uh, it's three nights. And so the, the 20, 20, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they have a bar there. My friend Dave's husband sponsored it. I saw that come up on my social media. It's like, ooh, someone's throwing money at it. That's what I love about the Pride Center. That's what I love about Melbourne. And so it's there. It's in St Kilda, so you can have a drink. And just, I don't know, come and support me. And um, it's not as morbid. It's, not a mor- it's actually quite an interest. It's a yarn. There's a bit of drama, like unbelievable drama. It's a real yarn and I'm having fun with it. And it also hits some notes of um, what it's like to be sort of, you know, that whole clash of loneliness, the imagination and being a playwright, all clashes and out comes this great big story. And um, yeah, I think it's great. Kevin McGrill, thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. Thanks for having me. I am out of here. Jacob is up next with a Friday rave. We'll catch you next week on In Your Face. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.